Welcome back to the Sunday show. Hope you're well. The show where we go back over the week's stories and find out what's happened in terms of the developments. Where are the big stories of the week? Some of them were. The key points. I have to begin with the phrase, come on ref, come on ref, come on ref. Come on ref has been replaced by come on VAR or those who control VAR. Come on those who control VAR. Yes, we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. At the beginning of the week, uh, when we were told right at the beginning, there were a few Premier League players who had broken the league's lockdown rules, which seems funny now considering what happened at the beginning of the week to what's happened at the end. But these players broke the, the lockdown rule by attending a party. It's easy to be confused uh, with what's actually been permitted in terms of the lockdown, the easing of the lockdown. At any point in time during the lockdown, it, it, it has been extremely, extremely difficult to work out what's going on. Uh, big shout out to us. Big shout out to us. Um, so it's it's difficult. So these players broke the lockdown, lockdown rules. We actually haven't been too restricted in terms of lockdown. When you look around the world, when you look at other countries, the United Kingdom's lockdown hasn't really been a lockdown. It's been a lockdown in terms of what we can do within our minds. We've been able to move around. There's been no restrictions in terms of distance. There's no. There's been no restrictions in terms of time. There's actually been no restrictions at the airport, they say, unless travel is important. People have still been able to travel. No one has actually been stopped at the airport to have their temperature checked or anything like that. So the lockdown has been a kind of spiritual lockdown. But nonetheless, there are lockdown rules. Technically, technically. So we haven't been too restricted in our movement, but this has not detracted from the story about Premier League footballers because Premier League footballers are easy prey in terms of today's footballing market and the news market because if footballers do something wrong, it makes the front page or it definitely makes the back pages in terms of what they should and shouldn't do. Should and shouldn't do. Now, football players, they're in a special branch of the population. They are very, very particular in this. And I want you to understand why. They are the only individuals who are being tested regularly. That's right. They are actually being tested regularly. The stipulations are you only get a test if you are ill, if you have symptoms. Before that, you have to isolate. But Premier League footballers are actually tested. So I can understand, and many of you will understand why some of the Premier League footballers were punished in this way. But when you look at what's happened towards the end of the week, with the easing of the lockdown, the way the individuals have moved around, basically gathered closely with one another in pubs, outside of pubs, in restaurants, etc., in your local park, block parties, illegal block parties, beach parties, wherever you are, there has been a confusion in terms of the information that has been disseminated by the government and how it has been relayed and how it has been observed. It's very, very true. So when a few Watford players, that's the team, attended a party with members of the public, probably, who haven't been tested, then by going to the party and being in a party with people who haven't been tested, it puts other Premier League players at risk. So we have to go back to the very beginning. Premier League players are the only group in the country who are being tested 
without having symptoms. I can't get a test unless I have symptoms. You cannot get a test unless you have symptoms. So you can understand why Premier League players obviously will be punished in terms of breaking the Premier League's lockdown rules. And it goes without saying that it's very, very difficult for some fans to understand. But when you put it in simple terms like that, when you add the actual fact that they are being tested and the general public are not being tested, when you see those who have been tested mingling with those who haven't been tested and you know full well that you cannot get a test unless you are ill, then you kind of, kind of wonder what's really going on. Already mentioned the contrasting stories across the week in terms of the Premier League players being um, punished, block parties, beach parties, raids in the field, two in Beck, Clapham Common, all across the UK, there have been small breakout parties where individuals had basically wanted to enjoy the summer sun and enjoy the company of other individuals because they had been cooped up in their little house, locked away from social contact for many, many weeks. And this is why we see what we see. So in terms of the Premier League footballers being punished, I understand and I'm sure you will as well because they are in that very small group who are privileged to be tested without actually having symptoms. Whereas the rest of the general public, the John Doe's of this world within the borders of the United Kingdom cannot get a test for love nor money. So we have to understand I doubt very much they were the only Premier League players to have partied at any point in time, but they definitely were the only players to have been caught out. It is unfortunate for them, but that's what it was. And that was right at the beginning of the week. Monday, Tuesday, where are we? We see more players and more managers on the move. Bad form, good form. It's all happening in terms of the driving factors for both Manchester City. And we don't usually do transfer news in here but Manchester City's young star Leroy Sane, Leroy should I say, uh, agrees to join Bayern Munich which is a big deal. This is a young man who's at the peak of his powers, he's 24 and uh, this will no doubt upset many of the Manchester City fans. They may think they've had a good deal out of it by getting roughly about 45 to 50 million pounds or euros for his services to leave them but it does say a lot about the state of football and that, that a young man is prepared to go and play his football elsewhere because the Premier League is seen as the best thing since sliced bread. Elsewhere there are other managerial movements and certain teams are moving around you know players are shifting managers are shifting and there's a theme for me because I'm, I pay much attention to who's in a job and who isn't in a job and particularly when there are, let's just say, people of colour, black managers, black coaches, because we don't see too many of them. Well, I don't anyway. Uh, Saul Campbell uh, has left his position at Southend after a, a certain run of results. And uh, this in itself is due to the financial difficulties that the club finds themselves in. Saul Campbell is one of the, the leading names uh, of the Premier League back in the day. He played um, very, very well for Spurs and then he moved over to Arsenal where he played exceptionally well. He played well for England. He was seen as one of the better centre-backs for club and country. And it kind of begs a question why someone like that isn't necessarily getting a, a big job or a coaching job in a, in a big team or being mentored in a particular way. Now, for me, it may be difficult for some to understand, but in terms of when we say the, the Black Lives Matter, it's much more than that. There's been a call 
for many individuals for some time, it's the equal access to opportunity. The opportunity being that it's been equal, that you are given the opportunity on your merits, on your merits more than anything else. And that doesn't necessarily be, seem to be the case. I'm not saying this is the case with Sol Campbell, particularly with his position where he's left South End. But now that he has, what will this mean for him going forward? What will this mean for any of the managers going forward in terms of the changing climate as we see in terms of the negotiations, the conversations, where we actually try to level out the playing field, which is strange when we talk about sport that even in recruitment, there isn't anything such as a level playing field, but we're going to see. We will keep an eye on that. Elsewhere, for me, I'm a big fan of women's football. Big, big fan. I, I go and watch it where I can. I've been to a number of stadiums and spoken to a number of managers and players within the WSL and FA Championship, Women's Championship. So where are we with women's football? We have seen um, that the women's football were forced to end their season, their 2019-2020 season, without so much consideration. There was a lot of talk about money. There was a lot of talk about um, the inability to uh, host games uh, safely, successfully, due to the cost of testing. Remember, I did start at the beginning that the Premier League players were the only group in the country who were being tested without having symptoms. Yes, that's right, without having symptoms. Could the courtesy not have been rolled out a little bit to the women within the Women's Super League and the FA Championship? Are they not footballers in their own right? Or is it the fact that they are female footballers, the actual adjective before the noun that describes them? Is it the fact that we have to say female to say that they're being treated different, differently or in a, in a different way? Shouldn't it be they are footballers first and foremost and that they should have been given at least somewhat, even a fraction of the treatment. And I say treatment, I do mean the financial consideration that the Premier League and the governing bodies did with the men's football. Women's football, there is no actual sight in terms of what's on the horizon for when they're actually going to return. Fans are crying out for their return. Fans are crying out for news in terms of players moving and coming and going and they're no different than any fans. They're keen to see their clubs bolster their squad and move forward to a greater degree. But it is really important. The women's football does return and it returns on a stronger footing. It is now believed that the Premier League the Premier League have offered a monumental sum of £1 million to assist the return of the Women's Super League whenever that is. Who knows? Who knows when it is? But is £1 million to support the women's game enough money? I mean, let's face it. There are clubs within the Premier League who are actually playing, paying players that amount of money every fortnight. There are clubs in the Premier League who are paying players that amount of money every month, every four weeks. So for the Premier League to offer £1 million to the women's game to help them on the return, I don't think it's enough. Some will say it's enough and you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. I get it. But when you talk about the money that's floating around in the Premier League and the men's game generally and in football, in the world of sport, the outside of football, £1 million isn't really much. This is a sport which does so much. Football is seen as the lighthouse in a world where inequality continues to trouble everyone. Football is seen as the beacon of hope. 
everywhere in the world. It is the universal language of dreams for young kids, old men who can no longer run like myself and have a bad back. Football is that one central thing that brings us all together, whether it is for a World Cup or a European Championship, the FA Cup final, the Champions League final, it has that pulling power to bring people to the table. I would expect, you would expect, and I'm sure everyone else would expect, that the amount of money offered to the women's football in terms of the £1 million may be a kind gesture. Maybe they forgot to add an extra zero, who knows? But it just isn't enough in terms of what the sport can offer to not even so much the world, the community that it serves. One million pound is not enough. It's not enough. And it isn't enough for what we expect from those who govern the world of sport. We want more. It is believed now is the time to push forward and ask for a little bit more. I know people are thinking, how can you ask for more? Like Oliver in Oliver Twist. He wanted more and he was pushed back. But the fact that he asked for it doesn't mean that he didn't deserve it. Women's football needs more money than £1 million. For me, I believe it is a nice tip, but it's not enough. And it should be more in terms of what they want to do in terms of bringing the game forward. The Premier League are actually spending £3 million for the coronavirus tests for Premier League players. £3 million. So to help the return of women's football, they've provided one third of the cost. Who knows what that's going to cover? There obviously are issues with regards, with regards to the grounds where they play, the grounds where they train, training facilities, all of those things. PPE, everything, first aid, medical staff, all of the things that you expect from your club. That's what you want in terms of football. £1 million in today's market for a sporting venture is a long way from what we expect it to see. So when the Premier League returns, because there are talk about the Premier League returning literally two weeks after this current season ends, because they already know how they're going to move forward or they're in discussions, I do hope that those that are in control of uh, the Women's FA and the Premier League actually understand that £1 million is great, but it's just not enough. Just not enough. In corded, well, according to a particular website, and this is the BBC, the FA director, um, get this right, the FA director Kelly Simmons thanked the league for providing the crucial funding um, and it will allow them to, this is the funniest thing, uh, align their testing protocols uh, with regards to the coronavirus. One million pounds, three million pounds. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, elsewhere this week, there has been an issue. There was a really big report, and uh, people probably think it's a theme to this conversation, but there is. The BBC report on reporting bias calls for journalists to alter their approach has been put forward by none other than Clive Tildesley. He has written to the PFA and asked that co-commentators be provided with proper training regarding bias to how darker-skinned players are described, black players for a better word. For the record, we understand that we say darker-skinned, so it's uh, politically and pleasing for those who uh, find it uncomfortable, should I say, to talk about issues around race or inequalities around race or inequalities full stop. But the study in itself does necessarily point out that there is an injustice, there is a gap, there is a disparity, there is a 
a chasm. There is a huge gaping hole in terms of how people are treated or spoken about from one section of society as, as opposed to how they're spoken about within another context uh, or another section of society. The uh, Danish, um, the, the report is actually by a Danish company called Run Repeat and one of the reports that I saw was outlined on a website called um, 538.com. The paper published um, the findings and it was quite quite scathing in a sense uh, with regards to the soccer commentary across many of the countries that it took research from. It took information from the United Kingdom, from the United States, Canada, uh, a number of other leagues, etc. Um, were involved. Uh, the Ligue 1, or Ligue 1, Italian Serie A, uh, La Liga, all there. Um, 80 games were sampled for 2019-2020 season, so not necessarily including the games that we've witnessed so far. The study found that players with darker skin, or black players as you know, like to say, were often reduced to racist tropes. That means particular phrases that have been passed down for quite some time and used freely as to how to describe certain players in terms of their speed and their strength and you know the words like beast and things like that you know, you know which is often used um, these words are often used by commentators and co-commentators commentators uh, freely to to actually um, describe these players now you know training is required this is very very important training is required this is why the the, the, the research highlights such a really important point that you know when you, you identify an issue when you identify that there is a problem when you identify when there is injustice or whatever you want to call it if there's a child on the floor that's fallen over and they cut their knee you go to help and you go and find out why they have fallen it's no different in terms of uh, the issues that we are discussing or any any issue um, with regards to uh, the issues with regards to language and, 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 the, and the choice of words and the phrases we use. Commentators and co-commentators and pundits need training. They are no different to any sports star. They constantly need to revisit what they have learned. They need to understand how to evaluate accordingly. They need to go back and reflect on what they may have read before and see whether or not the information that they have used previously is accurate, current, or out of date. If phrases and languages or language that we've used in previous um, games or commentators have placed football players or other sporting individuals in a category of less than worthy, then now is the time to re-evaluate those phrases and say no more. Clive Tilsley has put forward his request to the governing body and he himself believes that training is an essential part of how you move forward. He believes it is important to use your voice in a, an area which many have avoided, many have uh, swerved away from, and it is a conversation considering what people will say as the climate, but the actual awareness, more or less, a better word, that you need to have the conversation with regards to training. Call it what you will. Football fans will recognise that there needs to be training. Commentators will recognise it. Journalists will recognise it. Whether you're calling it training, whether you're calling it mentoring, whether you're calling it coaching, whether you're calling it CPD, whether you're calling it a refresher course, 
commentators need to be up to date with what they are saying in terms of the phrases that they use and whether they have balance in the general conversation with regards to any sporting activity. It's just how it is. And some will probably think, what are you talking about? Why are you saying these things? But it's very important. In my line of work, in education, there's a phrase that is used all the time. Are you a reflective learner? They ask you that question every time you do something. Are you reflective? Do you go back on your practice and pick out the good things, but highlight the things that where you went wrong, the things you did wrong, the things that you could improve upon. This is one of those moments. By actually saying we need to put forward a training course, a refresher course, a CPD course about the language that we've used, I see it as a bold step forward. I see it as an important step forward. I see it as a necessary step forward. It is important to have diverse voices in any reflection in any review in any training in any cpd because if you keep going back and you read the same paragraph that you've read time and time again no one will ever move on from the point in which they began we read different things we read different books we take on different messages our life is not a repeat and start again it is a learning journey as individuals as professionals as Husbands, fathers, sons, we move forward, mothers, daughters, cousins. We reflect on everything that we do and try and improve and make what we did before better. The report in itself highlights that. So let's watch this space. We're, not doing, we're doing a lot of watching this space. Right at the beginning, I talked about VAR. VAR has been really, really bugging me this week. A lot of people have a, go, a problem at VAR. They have a problem with VAR, full stop. And we're beginning to no longer abuse the referee directly. We're talking about VAR. We're talking about VAR in itself, the technology, the video-assisted referee, or the very accurate recording of what took place. We're beginning to actually be upset with VAR and its intervention because we don't understand. Decisions, decisions, clear and obvious, have been turned into a whodunit or who didn't do it. Step by step, VAR is to be used by specific individuals who are now seen behind a screen or the smoke and mirror thing. They're running VAR in a way that many fans don't understand. They are the secret empire behind football. There was a time when a man and a woman in, I say a woman, yeah, that's right, female referees, I did speak to one, in black held the gaze of distrust from football fans. You know, the boos, the hiss, so-and-so in the black. With the use of VAR being on the increase, football landscape has definitely changed. There are individuals now who we don't see. There are names we will probably hear but not recall or not retain. Uh, it seems that common sense has actually left the building or the stadium or, or just gone elsewhere to another planet. Uh, football needs to be managed in a way that the common man, the woman, football fan, supporter, TV supporter, couch potato can understand. It needs to be clear and obvious, which is a phrase used apparently in deciding what's happening with handball. With regards to the ruling of handball, it needs to be revisited. It should be revisited, I should say. Uh, and it should happen really, really soon. VAR or 
those who are controlling VAR need to kind of get a grip of what's going on. And they need to do it now, please. Because, you know, fans are, are calling out for, you know, the love of the game. The referee now is their friend. Who knew? Those behind the invisible screen have now taken the gaze of the fans. And it's now, come on, VAR. Um, and that just doesn't sound right. In terms of female referees, um, I had a very interesting conversation this weekend. You know, it's not just about what's in the newspapers or on the TV. I spoke to a female referee, a woman, no doubt, Suzanne Monaghan, who had never kicked a ball in her life as a football player, never played the sport, but somehow ended up being a referee. I interviewed her on her journey from going, uh, not being a sports person, to being an official who was now in control of football players running around on a muddy field or nice golf type field in terms of playing sport. She's based in the north of England and she talked about being a referee with such glee. There was passion in her voice. She talked with knowledge about the information that she had obtained through her training and how she felt as she was part of the game's big family. How it was important for her to be up to date with her knowledge and where she went and that she'd been to St George's Park and actually sat on training courses with other referees and they're there to help. And during the conversation, I said to her quite clearly, no one ever says, I spoke to a referee in the pub. No one actually says or mentions that they have a friend who's a referee. She's the very first referee that I've ever, ever, ever spoken to beyond the perimeters of the football pitch. It's not going to be the last time that I speak to her, but it did make me realise that in terms of referees, they give their time willingly to go and support the game. That's what they do. They support it in a different way because they officiate a game that needs to be officiated. So many of the football players that play football have no idea about the rules, have no inclination about actually going on a course to obtain information with regards to the rules never even look at going into being a referee as a career once they have finished playing because they don't want to take the heat from the players that they once stood next to because they know exactly what kind of heat it is. It's abusive, it's disgusting sometimes. It's unnecessary. What I did find was interesting in terms of the information that she gave me and her journey that most of the female referees that were on her course and had qualified were former players. And I posed the question, I wonder if that would make the footballing world slightly more interesting, balanced and nuanced in terms of the way that you go forward if every player was forced, for a better word. There was a compulsory element of their training where they had to actually do a referee's course. It wasn't just about you know whether they could do the Rabona or how many keepy-uppers they could do in a week whether they could you know, do the drag back and stand on the ball and volley it in from 40 yards. Do they understand the rules? It would be an interesting way forward in terms of the game going forward. It would also kind of push forward a different agenda, push forward a different narrative. And as I've already mentioned, that now the referees, not necessarily seen as the individual you can dislike or hate or shout abuse at, People who are controlling VAR, they're the ones that we now focus on. The referee is now just another guy, another person, another individual who has given up their time 
and standing in the middle of the field with the black or green, whatever it is they're wearing on the day, to officiate a game where they could be doing something else. It was really interesting. And if you ever get a chance to listen to the interview, you can find it on the An Interview With series. Suzanne Moynihan, really interesting and uh, a good, good, a really good chat. So, with regards to the week, obviously every Premier League game has continued the same way as it, as it began. The Premier League players and the officials continue to take the knee in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter cause. For me, this is pleasing to see. And I would say to the players and to the officials and to the Premier League, I thank you. I do. Because it means that you are still thinking and considering the issues that face many individuals with regards to, and I'll say it very clearly, injustice and inequality and a lack of access to a number of areas and full treatment generally across the board. And goodness sake, what do you mean? I mean a number of things. But when you have the officials and the players taking the knee before the game, what it does is it, it continues the focus, it ensures that the cause doesn't drift away and become you know, one of those moment, but momentary butterflies that we talk about, do you remember when, back in 2020 during the coronavirus? Something so insignificant, it is significant, and because they continue to do so, it means that the conversation will continue and when the conversation continues that means there's always opportunity and the possibility for change because as I mentioned already football is about bringing people together football is the lighthouse football is the universal language of hope for little boys little girls and for those who can no longer run or bend properly like me that's what football is about. And if the Premier League football players or any football player and the officials are continuing to recognise the cause that there is inequality in sport and there should not be, considering the impact that people of colour have had within the world of sport around the world, then the conversation needs to be had. And as I say, I thank you. Oh, it's going to be one of those days. It's going to be one of those days. Anyway, that was it from me in terms of the Sunday show. Each week, we take a look at a number of stories and go through them. These were the ones that we talked about this week. I'll be back next week. Please do make sure that you like, share and subscribe. You can follow me at Rodney Cyrus underscore or Rodney underscore Cyrus. Get it right or at on and off the PIT1. Please do check out all of the other videos, should I say, and audio uh, podcasts on Acast, on Apple Podcasts as well. Until next week, I will see you all again very soon. Bye.